You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker, we have Lee Green, founder of Where We, that was acquired in 2019 by Green. And currently, Lee is an advisor board member at Reveal and host of Future Commerce Podcast. By the way, people, if you have not heard it before, definitely check it in. Just search in, uh, I mean, just search in, in Spotify, Future Commerce. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Stairway you're to CEO. it. <laughs> Stairway to CEO, right? I forgot that part of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you just search future commerce, it's still going to pop up, right? Mm, future commerce is that they have their own podcast. Um, and then Stairway to CEO is a separate podcast, but we are oh, partners. Nice. All right. We're, we're going to touch onto that subject later on. Uh, speaking of subjects that we're going to cover in this episode, we're going to cover the acquisition of where we, how did this, uh, how did they pivot? Because they did pivot. And also we're going to touch onto being an investor before being a founder and vice versa. So Lee, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on where we. Sure. Um, so a little bit about myself. I grew up in Delaware. I lived in New York for many, many years uh, working in the fashion in industry. Uh, I moved to Los Angeles where I became an associate at Launchpad LA, which was a top technology accelerator for startups. Um, uh, that's really where I got my startup 101. I realized I'm an entrepreneur, just like these awesome folks in our portfolio. I want to be just like them. <laughs> How can I launch my own company? Um, so I did, I started wear away, um, wear away was an online marketplace that connects brands to influencers. We did have a little bit of pivot there. So happy to discuss that in a little bit. We were acquired in 2019 by grin, uh, grin is an influencer marketing SaaS company. So I was there for a little bit and now I'm on my own, you know, with my podcast, Stairway to CEO, which has been really fun. I interview founders and CEOs about their journeys and building companies. And I'm an investor at BU Venture Partners and I advise startups. Nice. Uh, this is really cool. So first question is actually about moving to LA. Why did you decide to move to Los Angeles? You know, at the time LA had a, um, huge growing potential of tech startups. Um, I saw a lot of things happening in LA that wasn't really happening in New York at the time. Um, I think Rent the Runway was kind of considered the only e-commerce, you know, up and coming huge company at the time in New York. Whereas in LA, we were seeing all kinds of subscription model companies launching, um, a lot of different e-commerce brands, just uh, was super interesting. I had come out here a few times already. I had friends here and, and who doesn't love sunny California? A hundred percent. Yeah, Los Angeles is definitely the place for you to be. Continuously advertise it as the city to move to if you're a founder, um, because it's close to San Francisco if you want to visit some investors. But at the same time, it's much better than San Francisco. So yeah, move to LA if you're a startup founder. But first question is, okay, never mind. Second question is about being an investor before being a founder. So you used to be a board member of Women in Venture and an associate, as you mentioned, at Launchpad LA um, before you started where we. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know what you have learned there and would you recommend other you know, aspiring founders uh, first trying themselves as an investors? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the accelerator model is very different, obviously, than working at a VC fund, um, but it was an incredible experience and definitely inspired me to become an entrepreneur and be on the operating side of things. And it was awesome seeing, you know, how other founders pitch their companies, uh, hear the feedback from the investors in on those pitches. Um, so, you know, I think being on the operating side of an accelerator and being on the investment side is a, definitely a great experience to kind of understand the world of venture capital, whether or not you want to be an entrepreneur or not, it really can help you, um, get some great insights there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So would you recommend founders, you know, taking their time researching this market, trying to understand it a little bit more and actually trying to get into one of those companies? Because I mean, getting into Launchpad LA is pretty hard because it's a, it's a pretty big firm, right? Uh, it's well known in LA specifically. So would you recommend founders, you know, taking quite a few hours of their time to spend to, to trying to get into those organizations? Or do you think, you know, there are better ways to learn this stuff? I think if you're a first time founder, there's a lot of amazing accelerators uh, that can be extremely helpful, whether it helps you with, um, you know, having mentors, which are obviously very valuable uh, introductions to investors, which mm -hmm. is super helpful when you're a new you know, founder and you don't know anyone. Um, they also help you with understanding just how to put together a pitch deck or just all these things <laughs> that as a, you know, new first time founder, it can just be really, really helpful to have that support. Um, I think as a second time founder, you probably don't need an accelerator, even though second time founders definitely go that route. Um, but yeah, if you're starting a business for the first time, I mean, supporting yourself, having, you know, a supportive uh, group of people around you to build a business is um, always very helpful. So yes, I think accelerators can be really great. 100% yes, accelerators, ventures to use, both of those are very good. And by the way, there are quite a few accelerators that don't take any equity at all. So for example, in LA, there is StarGrid, Star Grid, Grid, Green 110, Grid 110, that's, that's the company. It's government sponsored and they're great and they don't take any equity. So check it out. Maybe there is one in your city, just like Grid 110 in LA. Or if there is not, move to LA. <laughs> All right, uh, now let's talk about Wearway. So you've pivoted Wearway. Can you tell us a little bit more about that pivot? When did it happen and mainly why? Sure. So um, there was a pivot early on. We started actually as a peer-to-peer -peer, um, platform for women to rent from each other's closets nearby. Um, so that was kind of a major pivot going from peer-to-peer -to, -peer to B2B. Um, so most of the time, mainly we were a B2B online marketplace. Um, most of our customers were rental houses and, um, brands on one side of the marketplace. And then we had, um, stylists and costume designers that were working on major film and TV shows, shooting for major campaigns, commercials like Maybelline. Um, so it was very industry focused. It was B2B. Uh, mm -hmm. The reason for that pivot was I basically discovered a $6 billion industry that was completely <laughs> run offline. So that was very exciting. Um, we got into an accelerator in New York called XRC Labs. So that was really helpful in propelling that B2B model. Um, and then as we started to grow there, we realized there was a huge boom of influencer marketing that was happening. A lot of our brands started requesting social media influencers as you know, how many influencers do you have on your platform? And we're like, what? We have like, you know, the editor of this magazine and the, you know, the costume designer for this major TV show that can feature your products. 
Um, and they were really interested in social media. So we started to test that out and that ended up becoming 70% of our business, uh, nice. with influencers, yeah. Borrowing, you know, clothing and accessories from brands on the platform. So, uh, yeah, your, your business always evolves into things. I think you don't, you can never really predict depending on the mm -hmm. market. 100%. Absolutely. Next question is about actually, you know, more of like dangers of pivoting, I think, or dangers of, uh, I forgot, uh, just horrible day for me to, to run the podcast, keep forgetting words. But, uh, the question is about, um, not losing your focus basically. So one of the major advices that founders uh, who had exits before investors who had like successful investors, they give the same exact advice, you know, just be focused on your final goal. And, you know, when you're trying a different business model, when you're trying a different approach, different customer segment, basically trying to make those small testing pivots, don't you think you lose a lot of that focus and do you think it's actually worth, you know, spending your time to try this, to try that, to try this again, uh, instead of just focusing on one thing? Absolutely. And I think there's a difference between um, shifting focus and trying to do too much at too, you know, at too soon. But I think for us, the market really shifted. And if we weren't mm -hmm. going to go on the new wave of how things were being done, we would be the dinosaur left in the dark. So <laughs> you definitely want to make sure that you're following the trend of the world in the market rather than you know, staying so stuck to a certain focus, just because that's initially what you've set out to do, things can change. And so for us, that was this huge boom of influencer marketing, um, which led to our acquisition. So <laughs> we did the right thing. 100% and yeah, that thing is still growing. I think, I mean, I don't think I know it for sure. It's still growing. So great move. It worked out great for you uh, at the end. So good job there. Uh, let's talk about the major topic of the entire podcast, which is fundraising. So did you raise any money for where we? Absolutely. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Um, you know, how process. much did you raise to where, yeah, the process, uh, who do you raise it from, et cetera? Um, we had quite a few investors. We had um, Base Ventures, which is an awesome fund um, in the San Francisco area. Um, you're really drilling me now because it's been like so long, I feel like. But um, Newark Venture Partners, they're amazing investors. So we were really lucky to have a, a bunch of um, funds as well as uh, very seasoned entrepreneurs that were angel investors um, industry experts as well, as well as our accelerators too. So XRC labs as well. Nice, 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 nice. And how were you making the decisions on who to raise money from? So a lot of people in those, uh, you know, especially working with influencers are trying to raise from the influencers themselves. Did you try that approach? Did you try to raise money from someone famous or were you like, okay, that's most likely not going to work out. So we're just going to move on to traditional investors. Yeah. I mean, we had, um, you know, Rachel Zoe as um, an investor. And so that was kind of a, an influencer form, but um, at the time it really wasn't, you know, that was the very beginning of influencer marketing. So it was a, a totally different time than today where you have TikTok influencers investing in startups, you know, that like just started happening. So back when I was in um, fundraising, that wasn't really a, a thing and um, that wasn't really something that we were completely focused on. You know, we were focused on having investors that knew how to help us build a successful marketplace. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, I mean, they, they, 
I've heard the news that some influencers just launched a big fund. They're doing a rolling fund called Anti Fund. So that's that's pretty mm-hmm. exciting to watch. I'm curious to see how it plays out. If they manage to success, I'll be be kind of shocked. You know, some people spend their lives learning this stuff, and some people are just like, ah, I'll go from TikTok to investing in startups. Looking forward to seeing the results. I'm actually pretty sure they're going to work out because. I'm pretty sure they know the market somewhat well. All right, uh, now let's move on and talk about fundraising just a little more. Looking back at the experience, you know, looking back at all the uh, investors you spoke with, all the pitches you've made, at all the outreaches you've made, what would be the major thing that you changed there? I think probably not to take things as personal as I did. You know, I was a first time founder. And when you hear no, and you don't really understand why, and investors aren't really clear with you as to why, because they want to kind of hold you by a string in case something crazy happens. And like, you know, you keep them in mind. They don't want to be missing out on anything. Um, So they don't really give you clear answers as to why they're saying no. And so now that I know, why some of the funds that I pitched there, they just wasn't ever going to be a good fit, you know, and instead of kind of yep. saying that and letting the founder know, you kind of get dragged through the mud quite a bit and you're left in the dark as to why you're getting so many no's or <laughs> what's going on or they're saying, oh, not enough traction or there's always just something. Um, even if it's never going to happen. And that that was super frustrating. So I think you know, looking back, I wish I didn't take it as personal because it really had nothing to do with me, my business. It was probably just the fact that I was building a marketplace and they don't really invest in many marketplaces or they're looking for a certain return, you know, multiple that this type of business wouldn't be able to give them compared to another type of technology business or SaaS company. Right. So it was, Mm -hmm. you know, I think uh, blaming yourself and um, not really you know, knowing how to kind of take the rejection sometimes in a non-personal way, I think is uh, definitely big learning as well as having a process in place. So, um, yeah, I think having a very specific process in place, which is something I advise on a lot now with uh, startup founders, but didn't really do at the time for one of the rounds, you know, is uh, definitely a lesson learned. I knew nothing when I was building my business. I had to learn everything from scratch. So uh, lots of learnings there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, what do you mean by having a process in place? What does it does that process look like? So when you're raising capital, really, you want to raise for 18 months um, of runway. You need at least, you know, a year to be operating your business plus another six months to fundraise for the next round. You need to make sure you have a, a specific milestones that you expect to hit within those 18 months. So when you're raising and they're saying, okay, I'm giving this money to you, what can we expect to happen? You have very clear mm-hmm. milestones on what that can achieve. You also want to set deadlines for your raise. You don't want to just have this endless, you know, hey, I'm fundraising till the end of time type of person, <laughs> you know. You need to say, we're raising around, we're closing in, let's say like three months from now, you set that date and you ask the investor, can you sign and fund by these dates? And so you're kind of getting mm-hmm. them all ready to commit to a timeline. Um, and some will say, no, we can't. <laughs> some will say, yes, we can. And then you get your answer kind of early on. Um, another thing is like, it's a numbers game. So just cast a wide net. Definitely talk to as many investors as you can and be really, do your homework. Know exactly what kind of fund they are. Ask questions about their fund size, what kind of check they write what um you know a fund might say oh yeah we invest in pre-seed to series b 
that's a lot. Of, that's, a huge, <laughs> that's a huge round, yep. you know, and for a pre-seed company, they might say, oh, it's pre-seed. So they could invest in me. But then if you ask what percentage of your portfolio did you invest at the pre-seed stage? And then they're like, oh, actually 2%. Then you realize mm -hmm. that your chances are actually so much slimmer than you think. So I think, you know, really asking the right questions to investors that can set expectations for yourself so you don't get so excited. I think, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times you can leave a meeting and they're nice to you. So you're thinking, this is great. I'm moving on to the next phase. And then they send you a rejection <laughs> letter, hopefully, unless they go MIA, which they can, you know, then yeah. you just don't know. So you just got to ask the right questions um, and start early in your raise. Don't raise when you need the money. You need to raise at least three to six months out. Absolutely. Yes. Very true. Very true stories. It's very common for early stage startup founders, you know, to get disappointed real fast, to get lost in the process to raise for eternity. And then you're like, oh, shit, I've been raising for two years by now. The company's still there, you know, kind of slowly dying and then they burn out and then it's just sad. So, yes, great advice. Absolutely. I love it. Um, I had another question in mind, but then I forgot it. So. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> let's talk about the happy ending. Uh, let's talk about where we acquisition. How did it happen? Do you try to get in touch with the acquirer yourself or did it just, you know, organically happen? You know, I have to say, and people might hate hearing this because I would hate hearing this too. It, I was really lucky. Um, I had a friend, we were in an Uber on the way to a dinner with a mutual angel investor. And I was talking to him about my business. He was advising and talking to um, the founders of Grin. And basically, mm -hmm. he was like, they should acquire your company. <laughs> I said, <laughs> okay. Um, I did not expect you to say that, um, but I'm happy to have a conversation. And so he made the connection for us. They happened to be in San Francisco at the same time we were for the same conference. And I met them the next day. Um, and we totally hit it off. So it was a very bizarre situation, which I don't think normally happens. Um, I did talk to a few other companies and at the end of the day, Grin was really, you know, what felt like the best fit at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more founders who sold their companies I interviewed, the more I see the common trait there. Every single acquisition is just weird. I've seen only couple cases where it's normal, you know, where it was planned, where it happened because the founders were like, okay, soon we're going to get acquired. We know we're going to work towards it. All other cases, super, completely, absolutely random. So <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, definitely if you're a founder, you know, be ready for this stuff. Um, moving on, talking to, uh, talking about what's going on now, uh, what are you working on? Do you do some startup investing yourself as an angel? Do you advise startups? And, you know, what, what are you working on now? Can you tell us a little more about, about the podcast as well? Sure. Um, yeah. So the podcast, like we said before, it's called Stairway to CEO. Um, I interview founders and CEOs about their journeys and building their companies, starting from their childhood. I think it's pretty interesting to kind of find out, you know, how people, why they are the way they are and how they got mm -hmm. to where they are. Um, so it's a lot of storytelling from way back in the early childhood days to where they are now. Um, really been enjoying that. We've had some incredible brands and CEOs on the show. Um, and yeah, I love advising startups. You know, I've learned a lot in my journey of building Wearaway, um, everything from A to Z. And so I really love helping founders um, from anything from raising strategy to business development, connecting them to customers, marketing, influencer marketing, you know, whatever I can mm -hmm. help them with um, is something I really enjoy. 
Nice. Great. And yeah, I'll make sure to leave a link to that podcast in the description of this episode. So people, if you're interested in more of this you know, storytelling rather than you know, focused on the end results, definitely check out that podcast because you're you're not going to hear it on fundraising radio that's for sure uh, different focus that's why we are very much happy to advertise the other one all right um now that we covered pretty much everything i think i still didn't remember the question i wanted to ask you so it's just it's it's buried in my in my poor memory so forget about it uh moving on to the very last question of today's episode which is a call to action so lee what do you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over I guess uh, check out the Stairway to CEO podcast. You can go to stairwaytoceo.com. Perfect. That's a simple call to action. I like it. I would recommend people check out the description of this episode. Maybe I'll include another link to a story of the acquisition. So if you're trying to figure out how that stuff works, definitely check it out. And yeah, of course, the link to podcast is going to be there. And also there's going to be a link to Lisa LinkedIn. So check it out and as usually have a good day.